The Old Testament reading for today comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. The New Testament reading will be from Colossians 1, verses 1 through 17. Let us go now to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And now Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. So far the reading of God's most holy word. We pray that the Lord would bless the preaching of it and our application of it to our lives today. I stumbled across a news article the other day which reminded me of how much confusion exists within our society and even amongst those who claim to be Christians concerning basic biblical doctrines, doctrines such as the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man. The title of the article that I stumbled across was, What Does God Look Like? Question mark. And then subtitle, Liberals and Conservatives Have Different Views, a North Carolina study finds. That is a University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill study. Attached to the article was a sketch of the face of a man. This was the composite mugshot. Uh, created from the responses of the 551 people who were asked what they thought God looked like. Now, keep in mind, all 551 of those included in the study claimed to be Christians. Some identified as liberal and others as conservative. 
Uh, the point of the article was to say that liberals and conservatives see God differently, a lot differently. I am here quoting the article. I could have told them that. Also, they found that our view of God is impacted by things like race and gender and socioeconomic status. Also, not surprising. Now, my concern with the results of this study was not that the composite mugshot created from the responses of those interviewed was something other than what I thought it should be, but deeper than that, that any Christian would describe God in such a way that a mugshot could be drawn at all. That is the thing that was concerning to me. God is a most pure spirit. This is a most fundamental truth communicated in the Holy Scriptures. He does not have a body. He is not composed of parts. Even a most basic understanding of what the Scriptures say concerning God would leave one to say, would lead one to say, I cannot describe God's appearance, for He is invisible. He is not made up of matter as we are, but is something like the angels who are spirits, or the soul of man, which, though real, cannot be described so as to draw a picture of it. I, I would encourage you to go home later and try to draw a picture of a soul. See how far you get, brothers and sisters. You'll be frustrated, won't you? Uh, you cannot draw a picture of a soul, though it is real and true, and neither can a picture of God be drawn, for God is not composed of matter. He is a spirit. Now, to be fair, uh, the study did not say how many Christians replied correctly to the question, what does God look like? Uh, it may be that 10,000 Christians were polled, and of the 10,000 Christians polled, 9,449 gave a, a good reply. Uh, that is to say, he does not have an appearance at all. Uh, that may be the case. But that 551 who named the name of Christ would describe God in such a way that a sketch could be drawn of him is still very concerning. The article did also acknowledge that some verses in Scripture indicate that God is a spirit and does not therefore look like a man at all. John 4.24 was cited where Christ himself says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But right alongside that article, uh, that, that verse, the, the article insinuated that the scriptures also teach that God looks like a man. And what scripture text do you think was cited uh, to support this idea? It was our scripture text for today. Genesis 1.27, which says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I think this is a common misconception. When people read the word, So God created man in his own image, they mistakenly interpret to mean that God himself has an image, and as if man were made to look like God. In fact, what the text says is that man is the image of God. It is man that is image, not God. God is spirit. He does not have a body. He does not have a visible appearance. But God, when he made man, male and female, he made them to image himself. Man was created by God in such a way that something of the invisible God might be known from looking upon man who was made in the image of God. Indeed, this is in some respects true of all creation, isn't it? In some respects, all of creation images God. It, it, it reveals truth concerning the God who made it. But it is particularly and supremely true of man. Man made by God, male and female, is alone called the image of God in Holy Scripture. 
And I wish to linger here in this passage and on this subject, I think for two or three weeks, to ensure that we have a firm grasp on what the scriptures mean when they say that man was made in God's image. There there is much confusion on the subject. Uh, There is confusion within our culture and also within the church. And brothers and sisters, this is a foundational doctrine. This is one of those doctrines where if we get it wrong, it will have a negative impact upon many other doctrines. Uh, Today I will make some very general observations concerning man being made in the image of God. First of all, let us say something not about man, but about God. God is not a man, He is God. He is not human, He is divine. God does not have a body, but is a most pure spirit. He is, in fact, invisible. Jesus, of course, said it in a most plain and direct way when He said, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so there you have it. It is a very direct statement concerning the nature of God. He is not made up of material, but He is a spiritual and an invisible being. Uh, Jesus' statement concerning the spiritual nature of God was not made out of the blue, though, but was something known from the creation of the world, and it was a truth preserved and promoted by the fathers and by the Jewish people who descended from uh, the fathers. Remember that the second of of the Ten Commandments forbids idolatry when it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So idolatry, the, the, the forming of an image to represent God, is forbidden. It is the second of the Ten Commandments. And the foundation for the prohibition against the making of an image to represent God is that God Himself does not have an image. He is not made up of matter. He does not look like anything, but is invisible. I want you to listen to Deuteronomy 4. 15 through 19, which comes immediately before the listing of the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses spoke to Israel in this way, saying, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. These things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. And so did you hear it there in Deuteronomy 4, Uh, The reason the Israelites were forbidden from making images to represent God was that they did not see a form when God spoke to them at Horeb. The Israelites were to understand that God, in His essence, is formless. God, in His essence, is formless. And so it is true that God made man to image Him, And it is true that God made the world in such a way that the created world reveals something of the God who made it. These vestiges of God in the created world are a gift from God. In them, God condescends to us to reveal Himself to us. But how wrong it is to forget the distinction that exists between Creator and creature and to approach these created things 
as if they were divine. And how wrong it is to think that these created things are somehow to be identified with God, as if God were in fact composed of these things, or that He looks like these things, essentially. No, God revealed Himself in the fire at Horeb, but brothers and sisters, God is not fire. God is not fire. At other times, He revealed Himself in wind, But God is not wind. Indeed, God reveals Himself in all of creation. But let us not confuse God with creation and assuming that the two are one. Supremely, the invisible God reveals Himself in man, who was made in the image of God. But let us not think that God is man, or that He has the appearance of man. No, in fact, God is spirit. So how are we to understand those passages of Scripture that speak of God as if if He had a body? I don't think the article made reference to these, but it could have. There are passages of Scripture that speak of God as if He has a body. The language we are to understand is anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic language. Human features are in Scripture applied to God, not because He actually possesses those features, a face, an arm, a hand, but so that we might understand something that is true of God. But to understand the truth, we must strip away that which is human and allow to remain the principle which is rightly being attributed to God. For example, the words of the psalmist, I think, are very beautiful when he speaks of God saying, You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Psalm eighty-nine, thirteen. Indeed, what is the psalmist saying? God is powerful. Indeed, He is to be trusted when He gives His word. But all should understand that He does not, in fact, have arms or hands. But these human features are being attributed to God in order that we might understand something about God, that He is powerful, that He is to be trusted. But we must strip away the human. Do you see, brothers and sisters, how God condescends to us. He reveals Himself in lowly ways so that we might understand Him and lay a hold of Him. He reveals Himself in the media of creation so that we might actually perceive Him. He shows forth His power in the earthquake and in the whirlwind. His holiness and justice is seen in the fire. Indeed, His fingerprints, as it were, are scattered all about in this created world. But let us not confuse the Creator with His creation. Let us not identify the one with the other. Instead, let us appreciate the vestiges of God in creation. Let us give thanks to Him that though a great distance exists between He and us, though He be transcendent, high and lifted up, and beyond our comprehension, He has come down to us. He has made Himself known in and through His creation, and also by His Word. I think it's interesting to think even of the visions that were shown to John and recorded for us in the book of Revelation. When John looked up into heaven and was given a vision of that place, he saw glorious things. He saw splendid light. He saw things like emeralds and rubies you know, radiating There the glory of God was being manifest. But is God light in that sense? Is He made up of light particles? That's matter. But here God manifests His glory. The invisible God who is most pure spirit manifests His glory in splendid 
light. When the scriptures say that God is that God made man in his image, it is not to communicate that God has a form of his own or an image, but that man was made to be the image of the invisible God. Secondly, it must be affirmed that the whole of man is the image of the whole of God. As we consider what it means to be made in the image of God, this is the second thing that we need to understand. The whole of man is the image of the whole of God. When I say that man is the image of the whole of God, I mean that man images the triune God and not a particular person within the Godhead. Some throughout church history have claimed that man was made in the image only of the second person of the Trinity, the Son. Others have claimed that man was made in the image of the Christ before he even came. But neither of these views find support in Scripture. Man is instead to be understood as the image of the whole triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when I say that the whole of man is the image of God, I am saying that we must fight the impulse to equate the image of God with some particular aspect of man. Some claim that the image is found in the intellect of man, for example. Others say that the image is found in man's moral capacity. Others point to the relational capabilities of man and say there is what it means for man to be made in the image of God. He is a relational creature, just as God is a relational creature. Some have identified the soul of man as the image of God. After all, God is spirit, and man possesses a soul that is spirit. It is invisible, not made up of matter. Perhaps the image of God is found there, but they exclude the body. The body has nothing to do with the image, they say. But any attempt to reduce the image and to strictly identify it with one particular aspect of man will be found wanting in the end. No, instead, man in his entirety, man as a whole person, body and soul, is the image bearer of God. Whereas God is simple, without body and without parts, man is a complex creature. We are complex creatures. A man male and female, is composed of parts, and these parts do together make man made in the image of God. Uh, Let us briefly consider the various ways in which the parts of man image God. Uh, We do need to acknowledge that man is soul, and this contributes to the image of God in man. Man is soul. There is a part of man that is non-material and invisible. Man, in this respect, can be compared to the angels who are in heaven. The angels are spirit, and man has a soul or spirit. Man shares this in common with God, therefore. Just as God is spirit, so too man is spirit or soul. The personhood of man is situated within the soul. Think of it for just a moment. When the body goes into the grave, where does the soul go? Into the presence of the Lord. If you are in Christ, the soul goes into the presence of of the Lord, the soul goes on living, and the person remains. The person exists, therefore, in the soul, in the presence of God, worshiping Him day and night, if they are in Christ Jesus, having had their sins covered by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, This 
By this we could understand something of God, who, although invisible, is a true and living person. The soul does indeed image God. But let us also consider the faculties that man possesses. We possess different faculties. Man has what is called a heart. I'm not talking about the physical heart here, but rather the the spiritual heart, the invisible heart. Man has a heart. Man also has a mind. Man has a will. The heart in the scriptures refers to the center of man's life. It is the center of man's emotions and passions, the center of man's desires and, and will. The heart of man affects the mind of man, that is, his thinking. The heart and mind then drive the will of man, what motivates man to do what he does. And so the scriptures speak often of the importance of keeping the heart holy and pure, of thinking thoughts that are true so that we might will and do that which is right before God. Man possesses a heart, he possesses a mind, he possesses a will. These are the faculties of of man. St. Augustine saw in this an image of the triune God. Just as the heart, mind, and will of man can be distinguished from one another in some ways, they are yet inextricable and bound up, they are inextricably bound up together in the person. We might talk about your mind and your heart and your will. Those three are in some respects distinct, but together they make up the personhood of of man. They are bound together. And so it is with the Father, Word, and Spirit. These three can be distinguished, and yet they are one God. They cannot be separated. And the Father, I think Augustine is right, the Father can be compared to the heart who enlivens the mind, that is the Son, who in turn enlivens the will, that is the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that there is some truth in this. So can you see that the faculties of man, heart, and mind and will do in some way image the Creator. They image the God who brought man into existence. Thirdly, see that man, when he was originally created, was endowed with the virtues of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Bavink points out that, that man was created physically and ethically mature. Adam and Eve were created Physically mature, and what we mean by this is that they were created not as infants, but as full-grown adults. And ethically, they were mature in that they possessed from the beginning true knowledge, true righteousness, and true holiness. And if you're able to track along with me here, you see that this corresponds to what has just been said concerning the faculties of man. Man, as he and she came from the hand of God, possessed true knowledge in the mind. They possessed true righteousness in the will. And they possessed true holiness in the heart. In other words, they knew God truly, and they knew themselves truly. They were able to will that which was right, and their hearts were upright, pure and holy, from the beginning. In this way, the first man and woman imaged God. They reflected the truth that is in God, the the righteousness that is in God, and the holiness that is in God. Fourthly, it would be a mistake to assume that the body of man is unrelated to the image of God, as some do. 
Some want to make the non-material aspects of man the seat of the image, but in fact we are the image of God as whole persons, body and soul. We have already established that man was not made to look like God, but he was made to image him, and it is through the body that man's faculties, which we have just described, are exercised. It was through the body that the first man and woman were to live according to their true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Man was made to dwell on the earth in this physical realm. He was made to dwell bodily upon the earth and to exercise his upright faculties on the earth. The body was therefore created to be the instrument by which man would live in this place. He was to have dominion upon the earth. He was to serve God in this world. He was to advance the kingdom of God here and promote the worship of God. Uh, This he was to do in his body. Man is a whole person only when he is body and soul. Uh, The soulish existence that the saints who have departed from this world uh, have, it's indeed a blessed existence, but it is not ideal. John, from time to time in the book of Revelation, saw a vision of the heavenly realm, and sometimes he saw the souls of the saints, and there they were, either crying out to God, saying, How long, O Lord, until you take vengeance upon our enemies? At other times they are seen there worshiping God. Truly it is a blessed existence, but it is not the ideal existence. Man was not created by God to exist only in soul, but man was created by God to exist as body and soul. And indeed, this is how the redeemed will live for all eternity after Christ returns. We will be forever and ever body and soul. The body of man is also, therefore, the image of God. It is not that God looks like man, but that man was made to represent and image God on earth through the body which God prepared for him at creation. That's the whole point of it. God is in heaven, He is spirit and he is invisible. Man was created to live on earth and to be the visible representation of God in this place and to image him faithfully. Fifthly, consider that man's capacity to enjoy God in paradise was greater than any other creature that God had made. Are you tracking along with me here? Man's capacity... To enjoy God in paradise was greater than any other creature that God had made. Man was made to dwell on earth, given his physical features. He was also made to commune with the God of heaven by his spirit or soul. No other creature enjoys a privilege quite like this. The angels in heaven are spiritual and heavenly beings. They do enjoy God. They do worship and serve Him. The upright and elect ones do. The animals of the earth do not have souls, do they? But man, made in the image of God, has the ability to dwell upon the earth and to relate to his God who is in heaven because he is body and soul. Not long from now we will see that God entered into a covenant with the man that he made in his image. And man has the capacity to relate to the God who made him. And so, do you see, brothers and sisters, that it is the whole of man, body and soul, material and immaterial, that images the whole of God. Not one part of God, not one person of the triune God, but the whole of the triune God. Thirdly, 
I think it is right for us to, while making these introductory remarks about man made in the image of God, I think it is right for us to ask the question, was the image of God lost when man fell from his state of innocency and into sin? Here we are in Genesis chapter 1, and we will move on to chapter 2, and those chapters are glorious, and they are most important and foundational. But we must remember something about those chapters. They describe something preceding the fall of man. Everything changes at Genesis chapter 3, and we must keep that in mind. Here we see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that man was made in the image of God, but the question is, did man lose the image of God when he fell from his state of innocency and into sin? And the answer to the question is both yes and no. It is both yes and no. Broadly considered, we must confess that man retains or has kept the image of God even after his fall into sin. Broadly considered, we must confess that man retains the image of God even after his fall into sin. Genesis 9.6 can be held forth as a proof of this. Their capital punishment is put forth as the just consequence for murder on the basis of man being the image of God. Genesis 9.6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so the murderer is to be put to death because of the sanctity of human life, the, the uniqueness of it. Man, even after the fall and even after the flood, still retains the image of God. Uh, James 3.9 can also be put forth as a proof of this. Here James, speaking of the power of the tongue, says, With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. His point is that it should not be so. That we use the same uh, Oregon to, to bless God and also to curse men, and yet men are made, according to James, in the image of God. It, they still have it. They still have uh, that image. Uh, the, the words likeness and image are nearly synonymous both in Genesis one twenty six and 27 and throughout the whole of Scripture. James says that people are still the likeness of God. So does the image of God remain in man after the fall? Broadly considered, the answer must be yes. Man retains the image of God substantially but more narrowly considered, we must say that the image of God in man has been lost with man's fall into sin. And here we um, are considering the image, not in terms of its substance, but in terms of the quality of it. In terms of its quality. Does man possess knowledge still? Do you remember the categories of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness mentioned just a moment ago? Does man possess knowledge still? We would say, yes, he does. He has that capacity. Uh, he has the ability to know. But the mind of man is now dark. His thoughts concerning God and self are not true, according to his natural condition. But he is ignorant of God and the things of God by nature. So he has the capacity to think, the capacity to know. That remains. But his knowledge is all bent out of shape. It is distorted. It is twisted away from God and is in darkness. And what should we say of man's righteousness? Does man still have the ability to, to make choices for good or for evil? 
Well, the scriptures tell us that after the fall, none is righteous, no, not one. It has been lost in terms of our natural condition, born into this world. Everyone who lives, with the exception of Christ, sins and is therefore not righteous. None is righteous, no, not one. And what of man's holiness? Well, we must say that it is lacking altogether. Man's heart, far from being holy, is sick and bent towards all evil. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So substantially, man still possesses the image of God, but in regard to its quality, it is gone. A blind man may still have eyes, but he has lost his ability to see. A lame man may still have his legs, but he has lost his ability to walk. A deaf man still has his ears, but he cannot hear. And so it is with man made in the image of God. His body, his soul, and his faculties remain, but they are all bent out of shape and corrupted so that they do not function as God made them to function, namely to bring glory to his most holy name. Man, though alive, is truly dead after the fall. Though he possesses the image, it has been so badly marred and distorted that instead of bringing glory to God, his life in its totality is an act of blasphemy against the God who made him. Lastly, let us say a word about the image of God as it relates to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Whereas whereas Adam was made in the image of God, the scriptures tell us that Christ is the image of God. He is the image of God par excellence. Adam fell from his state of innocency. He came short of the glory of God, marred and misused the image of God with which he was endowed. But Christ, having been born without sin, fulfilled God's purpose for him, lived according to true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and entered into the glory of God. Truly, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We read that text from Colossians 1 at the beginning of the sermon today. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. That is Christ Jesus our Lord, the second Adam. What Adam lost, Christ redeemed and is now renewing uh, in those given to him by the Father. If you are in Adam, you bear the image of God marred by sin. And if you are born into this world, you are in Adam. Do you have the image of God? Yes, you have it. But it is that one that has been marred by sin, that is all twisted up and distorted. Do you have knowledge? Yes, but it is by nature not true. Do you have a will? Yes, but it is by nature bent not towards God, but towards evil. Do you have righteousness? No, it has been lost altogether because you are born in sin. If you are in Adam, you bear the image of God, but it is marred by sin. It is there, but it is twisted up, distorted, and bent towards evil. But if you are in Christ, the image of God has been and is being renewed in you day by day. And friends, you are either one or the other. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. You are in Adam by virtue of your birth into this world, but you are in Christ by virtue of the new birth through faith in Him, which is a gift from God. If you are in Christ, therefore, you are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and you are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. I hope you were listening carefully there. Uh, that verse picks up all of the terminology that has been used throughout this sermon and shows that in Christ, what was lost at the fall, the image of God, what was twisted up and distorted at the fall, is redeemed and it is restored. In Christ Jesus, the image of God is redeemed and it is restored. We are to put off the old self, which belongs to our former manner of life. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. We're to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and you're to put on the new self created, listen to it, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. The ability to once again live as God created us to live, according to true knowledge righteousness and holiness. It is possible for, for, for the children of Adam only through Christ Jesus our Lord. No longer are you to live in sin, but here, quoting Colossians 3, 9, and 10, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is what Christ has done for us. He has renewed the image of God and those given to him by the Father from all eternity. The work of Christ might be described as a rescue mission and a renovation project, therefore. The eternal Son of God took on human flesh, came in the likeness of sinful man, and was therefore the image of the invisible God. This he did so that he might redeem fallen man. And having redeemed those given to him by the Father, he is now renovating them after the likeness of God, after the image of our Creator. This is what we call sanctification, being made more and more into the image of Christ, who is the image of God par excellence. This is what Christ has done for us. And so, a few remarks by way of application, brothers and sisters. Would you think of man as he is today? Spend some time and think of it. Picture humanity as it now is in its fallen state. And I wonder, can you see remnants of the image of God in fallen man? I would say, yes, you can. You can look at humanity and, and you can understand how the image of God is in some respects, generally speaking, substantially there. You can see remnants of the image of God even within fallen humanity. But can you also see how he is from birth all bent out of shape and distorted? Think deeply about humanity and about human nature as it now is. It is quite disturbing, the things that we do. To one another. It is quite disturbing the sins that we commit. It is quite disturbing the way that we fail to give glory to our God. We are, we are disturbing creatures, rather disgusting creatures. I know this is strong language that I'm using here, but this is the truth of the matter. Uh, it, it is disturbing the way that we have sinned and the way that we fail to give glory to the God who made us. But would you also imagine man, and I am using the word man here to refer to male and female, as God created him to be? This will take some imagination, won't it? Um, here we are with these faculties, this ability, this capability of uh, living uh, right before God, of being holy, of doing uh, that which God wills, uh, having an intellect, having relational capabilities, uh, having a body to exercise all of these things. And can you imagine what it would be like with no sin uh, to, to see man actually living as God created him to be? What if the world were filled with nothing but 
upright men and women. You know, what a glorious thing that, we, that would be. Uh, men and women who no longer uh, sinned against God nor sinned against one another. Uh, you'll have to use your imagination, but if you are having trouble imagining these things, who is it that you can think of? Christ Jesus, our Lord. He was a true man. He is uh, the, the prototypical man. He, he is the one who, who lived as he was supposed to live, lived as God designed all of mankind to live. Look to Christ. Uh, there we see him. Uh, there we have our example. And then I'll ask you this. Do you long to be renewed? I do. Uh, do you long to live in a world that has been renewed? Um, I certainly do. Our prayer is that Christ would come quickly, isn't it? Lord Jesus, come quickly because we so long for uh, that day when heaven and earth become one and all is made pure, all is renovated thoroughly uh, by the finished work of Christ upon His return. We long for those things and in the meantime we do cry out to God saying, Lord, make us more holy. Help us to live like Christ. Make us more and more into His image. Let us bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I, I do pray that uh, you would help us to uh, linger here in these early chapters of, of Genesis. Uh, they are so foundational, um, Lord, and help us to understand what is here being communicated. Lord, uh, you uh, did make us in your image. You created us uh, to mirror you, to reflect your glory, to worship and serve you in this place. And we have so strayed uh, from this, Lord. We thank you for your grace and mercy shown to us in Christ. Uh, you could have just condemned us, Lord. But you, by your mercy and grace, have determined to save a people for yourself. This you did not have to do, but Lord, we are grateful. And for those of us who have faith in Christ, Lord, help us to live as you have designed us to live. Uh, change our hearts to the very core of our being. Change us, Lord, so that our hearts are holy Lord, cause us to think thoughts that are true according to your word. May we take every thought captive and kick those lies out and believe that which is true. And Lord, I pray that these things would have an impact upon our will as well, that we would will to do that which is good and pleasing to you only. Uh, Father, sanctify us, renew us, renovate us day by day by your word and by your spirit. We are pleading with you, Lord, to do it. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.